theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaclia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Amy, how are you today? I'm doing well, and we're taking advantage of some awesome downtime, quote unquote, for our teachers to talk to some, some tech people, some classroom teachers, to administrators who might have a few days break from their regular routine. I know this is exciting because, you know, as educators, we don't take a break. So we're totally taking advantage of our time. Amy, I am in disbelief that we have been in lockdown for 290 days now. It's really surreal to think about how things have changed and just how vulnerable we are. I never imagined that we would still be talking about the impact of this pandemic on teaching and learning 290 days later that we would be here. And for the first time, I want to share this, for the first time since I was a child, we wore Christmas pajamas. And I just wanted to commemorate the year of 2020. Our Christmas pajamas had 2020 and the zeros were toilet tissue rolls. <laughs> With everything that did not happen, such as my son's wedding, and all the families who were impacted in ways that we cannot even imagine. I am still looking for the silver lining in ways that we are better because of the pandemic. So we really cannot let this pandemic go to waste without accomplishing something great. And I think we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to the family members who may no longer be with us because of COVID, Going into a new year, I have a renewed respect for education professionals. We were able to pivot within days. Can you even, you, do you recall that? You know, taking your face-to-face -face instruction from your classroom into the homes in this virtual format. We, we had days to do that. And many teachers have been able to accomplish amazing things and be very innovative in teaching and learning. So I'm glad that we're taking advantage of this week and we're going to talk to one such educator this morning who's been very inspiring. Well, Paige Brown is an elementary school teacher in Northwest Indiana and has been for more than a decade. Paige has successfully taught, mentored, and encouraged a wide range of students from first grade to high school. She has grown up in a family full of educators and leaders who have inspired her in her career. After graduating college at the age of 19, 
Paige was ready to pursue a rewarding career as an educator. Paige enjoys making learning interesting and making a difference in the lives of underserved students and their families. Paige supplements her salary as many educators need to do through a personal business of custom designer cakes. Ooh, I'm interested for sure in that. And henna tattoo artistry. Wow, how creative. So welcome Paige Brown to our show today. Good morning. Good morning, Paige. You are looking beautiful this morning. And welcome to our podcast. And thank you. We're taking advantage of your off days during the break. We didn't want you to get too settled in there and think you didn't have to work. <laughs> so thank you for being here. You know, Paige, I'll jump right in. I am enamored by your teaching. I feel a sense of pride as an educator when I witness your passion, creativity, and the care that you give to your profession. You are one of the most inspiring and innovative teachers that I know. Can you talk to us about what keeps you motivated? As far as my motivation goes, I really do enjoy seeing the joy on the children's, on my students' faces when they're that aha moment when they're learning something new and just the excitement that they have when they see me or when they're doing activities with me. That's really my motivation. It's almost a task for me, a challenge. You know, how can I make them more excited today or what can I do that's different than what another t teacher does? So that challenge for me makes it task more exciting. Just my, that's, I think that's my creative side. I'm always thinking of new ways. So it goes what I would want my children to experience to what I would do in the classroom. I would hope that they would get that same experience. You're a volleyball player too. So I'm hearing some comp a competitive nature there as well. Yes. I have some very competitive issues. <laughs> so, but it's a good thing. It works out for the best for everyone else. It's, it is worth it. What was your inspiration for becoming a teacher in the first place? Well, originally I wanted to become a veterinarian. I loved animals. I still do love animals, but I guess along the path, seeing my mother, she was my principal my teachers for so many years, <laughs> just seeing her in that role that just fed into me. I do love children. I love working with kids. So I think my mother was probably my biggest motivation and just role model as far as teaching is concerned. So Paige, you're very, you're still very young and you've been doing this now for like 12 years. And in that 12 years, I imagine that you've seen a lot of teacher burnout, especially in places where you work. You're in a public school, a high need area. And how do you account for some of that burnout? What are some of the factors that lead to teacher burnout? And what do you personally do to combat that? As far as teacher burnout, you know what? I think I do see it a little bit less, or maybe I just don't associate myself with those that express that type of negativity towards the field. And don't get me wrong, it happens all the time for multiple different reasons. But I just think the lack of support from administrations can be is a huge cause. It just puts all the stress on the teacher alone. And not having that parent support with children is quite frustrating as a teacher that just it really just makes you kind of feel all alone. So it's a something that you're trying, you're trying to basically raise a group of students constantly during the workday and then still thinking about them on your off time at home during the weekend. So that that's just the constant, it, it will burn anybody out to constantly be worried about work. You have 
27 souls, like their future is in your hand and your paycheck depends on that. I mean, you're graded based on if they were listening or not. It could be quite stressful and that can lead to teacher burnout. And surprisingly, teachers that I know that have moved on to different professions, realtor is literally like the top profession that they go to. They used to be a teacher, now they're realtors. And it's that freedom to choose when they get to work and not to have that stresses. I mean, because people are coming to you and you're not trying to please everyone else. So I think that's just speaks volumes of the demands of what teachers have to go through all the time. Let's talk about the transition from face-to-face to remote. How was that for you to pivot in the spring? There's definitely lots of pros and cons. A pro was definitely that I get to be home with my family. That was my number one. I was like, at least I'm at home with my family. We're kind of out of danger. And I was blessed enough to have the technology skills that I have now or that I've had previously to be able to do that transition. Not the best way possible to start off, but it was definitely a shock because in March, it was after spring break, we're going to be back. So that mentality going into virtual learning was temporary. It's like, okay, we get an extra couple weeks off, teach online, what a, a smooth transition back into the second half of the year. So at, in the beginning, it was nice because in, in our minds, it was temporary, like very temporary. Everyone wants an extra week for spring break. So that was our mindset thinking of virtual teaching. And then the downfall started rolling in as far as technology and students not logging in and just that constant worry. Now people are getting sick. It was a huge, huge drop of motivation once those first two weeks passed and we were still virtual. We weren't going back. I know. I can't believe we're 290 days in. And I'm glad that you're talking about motivation during this time because on your Facebook, I saw your face painted in stripes with a thermometer. Remind me of who that character was. That is a book. Her name is Camila. She's from A Bad Case of Stripes. And it's a story about a little girl who's so worried about what everyone thinks about her that she transforms into what everybody else wants her to be. So started off with stripes and then the kids wanted her to be the American flag and her skin changed to the American flag. And-, and, and that just speaks volume. That's just one of the many characters and things that you will do for your students. So I'm just interested in some of the strategies that you use to keep your students motivated face-to-face and remotely, because that's amazing that you are able to pivot. I know that you have a Harry Potter classroom. Yes. And that you were able to pivot. My decor. decor. <laughs> yes. Now you have a nice maker space in the back. So you've taken mm-hmm. advantage and moved your classroom into your home. So you have this nice maker space. That's a great way to motivate them. What are some other strategies that you've used to keep your students motivated? I will say it's been a lot different ending the year virtually than beginning the year virtually. My school district has not gone back at all. We didn't test it and go back for a couple of weeks. We didn't do half and half. I haven't taught in front of students since March, almost going on a year if what it sounds like so far that we'll be virtual learning. But I say at the end of the year, it was a lot easier because I knew my students and I was blessed, fortunately. 
I had my students from second grade and I looped with them to third. So I've had most of these kids for almost two years. That was the easy part. I knew what to expect for them. They knew what to expect for me. They knew my routines. They knew my expectations. So that was the easy part. And I knew what motivated them. I knew what everyone liked and what would get them going. I use a lot of classroom management. I transferred into virtually. There's a site called Class Dojo where kids can earn points and things like that. And because I do a Harry Potter thing, there's four houses that they're sorted into and each house earns gems. So a big thing for last year and this year is my students are sorted into houses based off their likes and personality and they can earn these little things for logging in on time, for participating. So they like to see these rise. Like I said, I'm a competitor. They can feed off of that. It's a book series that they've gotten into that they probably never would have gotten into. So it has a lot of benefits. Because of that, I can motivate them in a lot of ways. At the end of the year, I was dropping off gifts to students. I was driving to their houses and dropping off little prizes for logging in, you know, this student logged in for such amount of days, the student participated. So I was going to about five houses every other week to drop off surprise gifts. So I would be on a Zoom meeting. They didn't know whose house I was going to. And I'm driving to the house. I'm like, whose house is this? And I show the house and the kid runs out like, that's my house. And everybody's on the meeting screaming and clapping. So the point was, you know, not to make people feel left out and unmotivated. It was, you can get this gift as many times as you what and new people can always get it so by the end of the school year last year everyone got everyone got a gift that's what kept my motivation just the hope the hope that they would get a visit from me because i those were my babies for two years when they stopped seeing their teacher it's a big thing for them the excitement of seeing them you know don't come close can't hug you so that was the hardest part they want to just hold on to you and hug you and uh high five you anything but at that time COVID was really hitting people hard not that it's not now but in that time it was pretty intense this year has been this new school year has been a little different because I have not met these children in person so there's not that rapport of looping with them and also they've they've seen me in the hallways I'm sure they've seen me on our announcement network that we have in our building but they've never like been with me That was a little challenging trying to get to know them, but I keep that same personality that I have in the classroom online and I give them a chance to talk because that is extremely important for them to talk because they're at home by themselves with no one to talk to at their age, unless they have siblings, but it's still not the same. You don't want to talk to your siblings all the time. You want to talk to other kids. Letting them talk is... (laughs) for some odd reason, some huge prize. Like, Mrs. Round, if we do all our work, can we just talk for a second? Can we, they play the game together online? Fine with me. So letting them talk has surprisingly been the most encouraging motivator this year. And I just dropped off 22 Christmas gifts over the break so far to students all in one day. So that was interesting for my first time ever seeing some of these students in person. I forget how like little they are. <laughs> that was a surprise, but it has been challenging. This new year has been a lot different than ending the year last year. To have met students and then gone to re- remote learning and you knew them for quite a long time. And <laughs> now to first time ever seeing them 
And I want to describe for our listeners the jars that have the uh, different colored gems. They're Mm -hmm. very cute little jars or containers, (laughs) and they are they're all the same height, but the gems are yeah, they're around the same. They're slightly different. So it looks like red's in the lead. Yes, Gryffindor is in the lead right now. (laughs) Oh, there you go. What about your experience teaching remotely? How would you compare academic and social progress of your students this year during COVID versus years past? Are you starting to pick up on any differences so far? I really am. And I find the differences mostly, it's a, it's across the board. I want to say just one subject, but it's really not. Um, I'm a very hands-on teacher as well. So using manipulatives, especially come when it's math, math is a hands-on skill in my mind. And for students as well, they need to have different ways to, you know, receive that information. So that's been a challenge for me, not be like, grab your blocks or grab your cubes because we were not able to send students home with packs like that. That has been a challenge for math, just having them listen all the time. I mean, no one likes, it's basically a lecture all day for this age group because we were not able to really send packets home and things like that. There's going to be a huge deficit in writing skills because they're not writing. I try to make them write as much as I can because I did make them care packages at the beginning of the year. So in that care package, there's a whiteboard, pencils, erasers, pencil sharpener, paper, just little things like that, that they might not have at home. People are going through things at home and having that distraction at home hinders their learning. Reading has taken a huge downfall. They don't get that one-on-one for those struggling readers and my EL readers. It's just, they're not getting that practice that they would normally get. I would normally work one-on-one with students all the time or in small groups. We can't do that now. It's taking, I think education has taken a huge hit with these kids and they're going to be not far behind, but they're going to be behind than they would have been in person. Same for my students last year. We were not allowed to teach anything new last year. So that's where the thing, where I'm teaching second grade and third grade skills. So they're trying to cram all of this in one year virtually. So it's not like it's in person where you're saying, oh, I have to catch all of them up, which would be a lot easier. But now I'm teaching second and third grade virtually. That's the biggest challenge. They missed half of last year because we weren't supposed to teach anything new. Just review, 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 review. This year, teach everything. It's been quite a challenge, but at this point, we kind (laughs) of do what we got to do teach them what they can learn. I find, sad as it is, I do find a little solace in this. This is a worldwide problem, so we're all in it together. We are having this great conversation with Paige Brown, who's a veteran third grade teacher, mother of three, wife of an essential worker, and we are talking about the transition from face-to-face to remote instruction. Paige, in March of earlier this year, you were invited to the Chicago area Deans of Education Partnership Symposium that was supposed to take place at the end of March. And we suddenly had mm-hmm. to cancel that symposium. And you were going to speak on teacher recognition. That was another event that we didn't have. Talk about your feelings of being appreciated as a teacher, because I know that's one of the things that really helped to retain teachers. 
So talk about your feeling of being appreciated and what are some of the things that make you feel appreciated and things that we can do to go further to make you feel appreciated? Well, as far as that, um, I'm a very easy person to please when it comes to things like that. So it really does take the bare minimum. And I don't think I'm the only one, the bare minimum to get that support from administration and even from parents that you're appreciated. Uh, I know in a previous school system that I worked for, they would do little things. Once a month, they would have a food truck come and the teachers would have lunch on the administration with food truck. I love food and I'm not the only one who loves food, but that was just our, our principals constantly thinking about us and this is for you. And it's as little as a lunch in that was something to look forward to. And just to remind you that all this little hard work, because it, it takes a lot of work to secure that every month, was for us. And then we would get a break every once in a while during the day. So little things like that was very encouraging. I know not everyone likes being observed and the principal comes in, you're just, okay, let me make sure everything is perfect. But just having that rapport with teachers, knowing that when a principal or administration comes in, that you don't have to show off or be worried about being graded or, oh man, I don't have this up. I didn't write my standards up today or I didn't, don't have my objectives up and I normally have them up every single day and today is the day I don't. That stress is so unmotivating, but getting those notes from principals about things that they liked, if it's not a formal ob observation, if that's not their goal, I say, you know, sandwich, like everyone says Oreo, you know, compliment, something they can work on and end it with the compliment. Those little things are so encouraging and motivate a teacher and having those administration work with parents to help teachers shows the appreciation for the teacher we have our back. I think those things really feed into teacher appreciation. In my school district, there's not as much, it's like literally one teacher for the whole district to be recognized. It's like teacher of the year, such and such, at some school I've never heard of. Little things like that are just discouraging. It makes you feel like you're doing all the work on your own and a lot, not lack of support, but like you said, a lack of recognition when you can go somewhere else and people adore you or people are craving for you to do anything you need so that your day is successful or that you had a good day or a good week. Everybody's not going to have a good day, but a constant check-in, a sincere check-in, not a mass email check-in. So it's a lot of work on administration. I'm not saying that's something that can be easily done, but if it's spread around evenly, <laughs> it can work. There's a lot of motivation that we can support just by simple notes. Say, wow, I love how you use the jars with gems to motivate students. They seem really motivated. But you know, you still sound so very joyful in spite of the things being what they are. It takes a lot <laughs> to bring <laughs> well, me down. <laughs> what, what are some things that contribute to that joy? What are you doing for your self-care? Right now, <laughs> coffee is my self-care right now. Having in the more, if I get up early enough, Lord forbid, um, but going to grab coffee, believe it or not, outside of my house has been so nice for me during this time that 15, 20 minutes of little bit of quiet <laughs> and having that coffee for the day has been, been nice as far I can count it as self-care. I don't really require much. And I know that's not saying that's not very helpful, but I do love being around my children. I have three that are around me constantly and I do have a two-year-old, but it is fun. 
for the most part. <laughs> well, let's talk uh, about your children for a second. Uh, <laughs> what about them? What has been their experience with uh, this learning remotely? And how have you been able to navigate teaching and ensuring that your own students are learning? And you said you had a, uh, you have a toddler. It's, it, that has probably been the most challenging part of this virtual learning. At the end of the year, last year, my son was sent home virtually. He's in third grade at the time, my same level. I knew how to help him. We even had the same books. <laughs> so it was, that was a smooth transition, but it was challenging teaching all day and teaching all night because in my mind, I don't want him to fall behind and I don't want it to just be review. I want to make sure that he's knowing these skills because the teacher, and it's not the teacher's fault, but they're just reviewing. They're not supposed to be teaching. And that bothers me. So I didn't want my own children to fall behind. So it was a constant teaching moment all day. This year has been very challenging as well. My daughter has started kindergarten and my son fourth grade. And the kindergartner, she's great virtually. I mean, she learned, she picked it up quickly. What buttons to press, how to log into Zoom, how to find her assignments. My son really needs that face-to-face. So that has been my challenge, keeping him motivated because not everyone does well with virtual learning. They need that face-to-face. They need that constant checking in. And he wasn't getting that because I'm trying to teach and make sure they're on task or that he's on task, paying attention, motivated, because it's so easy for them to drone off and look into space if the teacher's not motivating them or encouraging them to do activities. It's been quite challenging, but fortunately, the school district where I live, my students were able to go to school. So it was a challenge to, you know, decide to send them. I also am fortunate not to have anyone with health issues at the in the home. And if the problem arised, I would just keep them in. So we gave it a shot and they did great. Their school district was great at, at handling any cases if they got any, or I actually haven't heard word from the schools of any cases near them. So that was very encouraging. So that helped them going back to school, but still that beginning of the year being virtually, it still puts students so far behind, even as the students go in, because going into fourth grade and fifth grade and sixth, those kids are transitioning to older grades. They're lacked that responsibility that urgency to turn things in on time because they were so lax at the end of the last year. And they don't have those simple organizational skills that we instill in them in second and third grade. Those are huge skills, just as important as reading and phonics for them to have that responsibility and organization and just keeping a schedule and just being responsible for themselves because they're so used to teachers. You have to do this right now. You have 10 minutes to turn it in and give it right back. I'm not going to leave you because I need it right now. Not the I have homework or I have a report to do. I need to be responsible enough to stay on task for a week without having to be reminded. So that's been a challenge for, I see not just my own, but other students as well as they get into the higher grades. It's a lot easier. My kindergartner, she just has easy stuff. So it's do it right now with the teacher. So she doesn't have to do it later. It's been challenging. Yeah, but with everything that they're not getting, I imagine that it's also increasing their level of responsibility and their technology skills. I want to switch gears just a little. At Governor State University- well, the children have no issues with technology skills. That's, that's the thing that we're confused <laughs> of. It takes them a couple minutes and the problem is kids are hands-on learners. So they're hearing how to do the instructions might take a little longer. 
but they pick it up a lot quicker than we're picking things up. They know how to, they, they know what they're doing. I read an article about a student who put that changed their Zoom name to reconnecting and kept their camera off. So they just their teacher just oh. thought they had a connection ish, issue, but they spelled reconnecting wrong. And so that's how the teacher figured it out. They are technologically savvy. And speaking of what that child did, Governor State University, we place a lot of emphasis on social emotional learning. How are you responding to the social emotional needs of your students, especially in this virtual setting? This has been a big thing as of late. I want to say the past two years, that's become a huge prominent curriculum in our school district. SEL didn't used to really be a thing. Not that I didn't pay attention to it or acknowledge my students because I really do have, love having a rapport with students, letting them get a chance to talk to me and tell me about their day and express their feelings. This year, every day we do an SEL lesson. So it's the first 15 to 20, it's 30 after they get done talking. The first 30 minutes of every day is an SEL lesson, almost an hour now, I want to say. I start my day every day off. I turn the meeting on. I mute myself and turn my camera off and I have my calendar up. I have my Google Classroom all decked out with Christmas music playing. Well, lately Christmas music playing in the background. And as they're logging in, they're calming down. They're talking to each other. They're greeting each other as they would if they were coming into the classroom. And then once I get on and take attendance, we start off with good news. So, and I used to do this in my classroom as well. Anybody who has good news and it doesn't, they just want to share news most of the time it doesn't necessarily have to be good. And they'll say, I have news, but it's not good news. I hit my foot on the door and, and I was bleeding. I was like, well, good thing you didn't need your foot amputated. That's the good news. So flipping it around, reassuring them that any news they want to share is important. I don't degrade anybody's news or, oh, well, that was nothing. You're fine kind of thing. So we do that good news. And then I teach them every day is a different type of lessons. Might be a lesson on respect or self-esteem. So we'll watch a little video or, and we'll do a discussion and then they do a response. So every day they respond a certain way to understanding their emotions and how to express their emotions, how to show empathy towards each other, which is something that they're not used to doing virtually. It's so self-centered. Not all the time people are asking children how they feel about things ever. It's literally go do this. I told you to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. No one's really checking in on them. So I do like the aspect of SEL every day. I almost feel like I'm running out of lessons to teach at this point because it's every day. The main part I feel is letting them to talk to me and express their feelings and having the rest of them listen to other people's issues and problems and empathizing with them. It's amazing how they, I'm blessed to say I don't have any like bullies or people who are laughing at each other. They are so accepting of each other. And especially with my low level readers, it's very obvious on Zoom because you know, they just can't flit away. And it's very obvious if I don't call on a certain person with, and I'm not there to help them read the word, this is what the word says and whisper to them. But it's amazing how when a student asks me, Mrs. Brown, can you help me spell this word? And another student jumps in that, okay, that empathy lesson, they picked it up, helping each other out is, it's really powerful. I remember one student, she was helping an SEL student. She's helping him spell a word. She's telling him all the letters and she can't see what he's typing. Type an M, 
He's like, is that the one with one humps or two humps? She's like, it's two humps. He's like, well, where is it at? And she's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> she's trying not to get frustrated. I hear it. I say, I understand, girlfriend. And I'm just listening. I have my camera off. I'm there if they really need help, but I'm listening to her help him. And she helps him spell all of his words and make his sentences. He logs off to go with another teacher. And she's like, whoo, that was hard work. But he did it in a normal setting. Someone would have been laughing, you know, in the classroom, like, oh, he doesn't know how to spell that word. But having those SEL lessons lately have just been astonishing to see them break their feelings down and why people act the way they act and how to respond to that. And that it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. You don't have to hide that. So that's been a huge thing because we've had some issues already and with students and they're, they're talking about them. They're not shying off and they're not being secretive and they're not just avoiding the issues where I have to wonder what was wrong with that student. It's helpful for them to say, Miss Brown, I'm not having a good day. I said, okay. And we go from there and people are typing in the message. I hope you have a better day. I'm like, get out of the chat. That's not what it's for. But I'm also happy that they're expressing those feelings and that I can know when to make a student feel better because sometimes a student will shut down. Now they're not learning anything for the rest of the day. SEL lessons have been extremely helpful this year. And we know that with attention to social emotional learning, as well as differentiated instruction, what helps one student, it really helps all students. But I want to shift just a little bit. We have student teachers, first year teachers who have not experienced face-to-face learning yet. They student taught in virtual learning. They maybe had their first year experience this year and it started virtually. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on how they might be supported once that transition to face-to-face learning happens? What are some things that GSU could do to support these teachers? Teaching virtually is nothing, absolutely nothing like teaching in person. It's almost like you would have to redo your student teaching. I'm not going to say redo, you know, all the logistics, but being in front of students and having that responsibility over the class in person is something that still needs to be processed that happens before the next step. It's a huge, huge difference. It's like almost night and day teaching in person than teaching virtually. But I will say being able to capture those students' interests virtually for student teachers, learning how to do that and keeping that skill, it'll be so much easier in person almost, depending on the student. Most students, it'll be easier in person because you have tangible reinforcements and encouragements and incentives for them to do. That's the good thing. But having that those classroom management skills in person and learning how to differentiate your learning in person is important and small group learning is important in person. Those are just skills that have to be done in person in order to continue teaching in person. Otherwise, it's going to be a giant shock come August next year and they've got hired into a new job and all they know is virtual teaching. Yes, Um, I'm sure that our faculty coordinators would agree with you. And I think that there's such a need for them to go into their first year teaching experience with some mentorship. They have to be even more challenging to retain this group of student teachers. We're talking about now two groups of student teachers that we're going to have to retain beyond this. I'm happy that you've given us so much time 
and you have little ones there. And we're just so honored that you joined us today. But I do want to ask you a final question beyond what we've asked. What tips, what recommendations do you have for teachers and even parents who are going through this remote instruction? I would say, and I ask my parents all the time, it's rare that parents are forthcoming with their situations sometimes, especially never having met these parents. It's a lot different. I said, if you need anything, let me know. That can come in many forms. Maybe I'm not able to do something specifically, but I can reach out to people who can. And I do have the resources to help these parents with things. But have, just having that rapport with their teacher, parents with teachers and checking in with the teacher, whether it be through tech. I mean, I text every parent from my actual personal cell phone. If you need me, text me. I'll answer. I'll get you help. So I've had parents who, you know, let me know their situations every once in a while or things that are going on. Or if someone has caught COVID or in, the, in that aspect, I've had parents reach out to me for help with GoFundMes. I've had a student who lost her father during this process, um, not due to COVID, but at the beginning of the school year, that was my first couple weeks working with that student and just that parent venting to me. And I'm just that support because the parents are at home. A lot of parents are just working from home too. So they, they also don't have that talking to other people other than going to work and then just dealing with teaching their own student at home. I know it's, it feels like, especially if they have multiple children to try and keep up with them. I mean, I'm fortunate I'm a teacher and I can help my students, but I can imagine that frustration with parents who don't have the knowledge of the technology and are trying to keep their student, their child engaged online and not even knowing if their, their child is doing what they're supposed to be doing. But my advice is, would just be for parents to continue to reach out to the teachers because that's what we're here for. And we love that parent engagement. It's not just a one person job. I tell them, I was like, if you tell me as much as I can help you as much as I can, if you tell me that such and such is going through something, I can help. If you need internet, I can help. It really is all of a matter of communication. As long as parents are communicating with teachers and asking for help or giving us information, it works out best for everyone, I believe. I think that that's great advice. Communication is key. I grew up, my mother always told me that I don't always have to know the answer. I just need to know where to get it. So you have been such an inspiration, not only to your students, but to your parents. And we really appreciate you being with us today. It's been a joy to talk to you. You are phenomenal. You are our inspiration. Thank you. And we can't wait to have you at the Partnership Symposium so you can talk more about teacher recognition. I think there's a lot for administrators to learn from teachers about recognition because I think it's key in teacher retention. And we have such a huge teacher shortage. The minimum that we should be doing is trying to retain the teachers, the great teachers that we already have. So I thank you. I thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you, our listeners. 
Did theory or practice win the match? I think it was theory probably this time. Uh, practice. Until next time, we're Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy.